until you are face to face in this very small chamber lit only by a flashlight with something that can be best described as a living nightmare and it is holding your brother's jacket in its hand mm-hmm, yes what do we need to talk about <laughs> Alistair is so mad she looks at Winston and she says uh, dad who are these people and then it puts the jacket on and as it does its skin starts to transform it changes colour and its bones begin to move and its shape changes and Ernest replies it's going to be your last one and he is going to grab it by the throat and stab as hard as he can into it with his taser Hello, Cum Scouts. I'd just like to quickly say a massive thank you to our patrons for sponsoring this series and bringing this to you. Thank you to them. You can check out our Patreon at Dark Tides on Patreon. Just Google it, okay? You'll find it. Lots of great stuff. Check it out. Onwards of the episode. Welcome, listeners, to Dark Tides, a weekly improvised audio drama series that uses role-playing game mechanics. I'm your host, show creator, and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. Before we get started this session... Chester would like to issue a content warning. This is what I get. So this is our second attempt to record this. We recorded like the first like two minutes and then the recording software broke because Adobe. Um, and I interrupted Aubrey's uh, content warning to talk about furries um, just because I wanted to throw him off and now he's giving me the content warning. So, hello everybody. A little content warning about this episode. I don't believe we need content warnings anymore because this is episode 11 and hopefully you've gotten the point People at this People listen stage. to podcasts halfway through. No it one happens. listens to podcasts. No. Old people do that. Yeah, well, we don't want old people here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Grandma, if your grandson has recommended this to you, it's not because he loves you, it's because he wants you to have a heart attack. <laughs> We're really not that bad. This is not Dark Dice. It's not that bad. So anyway, back on to furries. Uh, (laughs) All right, we're going to take over there. Hi, everyone. My name's BJ. I play Alice Stone, a 19-year-old emo with no friends and no job security. Ali works as a night watchman for his father, the mayor, doing odd jobs around the town while in his free time pursuing his true calling as an amateur cryptozoologist and detective of the supernatural. Hi, how you doing? How are you, Chester? Hello. I'm... Would you like a turn to speak now? Yeah, I'm, so I'm the real Chester Lydon, playing the real Ernest Marsh, a lifelong Boy Scout and nature enthusiast who has been given a chance to fulfil his lifelong dream of becoming a park ranger. <clears throat> Gina. And this dream has led him to the Hook Bar Capelago. You just need to say that differently every episode. Gina! Gina! <laughs> See, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, you don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah, what are you doing here? Go back, start from episode one, or come episode back to us two. in like three weeks. Yeah, episode Or episode two. two. Yeah. I'd just like to put in my two cents. We are about, we are about halfway through this first season, and I think we've reached that energy of we're into this enough to be comfortable and far enough from the end that we still have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, we'd like to give oh. a little... So we've already done this a few times now, but uh, I'd just like to say a big thank you to uh, Angela out there. This, the, this episode's for you, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> this one specifically. This one specifically. specifically. And the previous one. For you, And the Angela. one before that. Yes, Chester is talking about our wonderful Patreon subscriber, Angela. 
Our Thank you very much. Patreon subscribers. Well, by the time this one comes out, there could be more. There could, could be. It's taken us 11 episodes to get one. If you are a Patreon subscriber, this episode is especially for you. It will be available to everyone else, but the point of it really is to brag about, you know, how wonderful and supporting you are unlike the majority of our friends and families. Exactly, who haven't <laughs> supported us on Patreon. So, it's very just true. very little, few of who listen. Yeah, I know people don't li- like this type of stuff, so I'll just give you a super quick little breakdown of what you get as a patron and what our wonderful Angela is getting. She gets the episodes, of course, but she also gets the uh, after show, which we record after every episode. Sometimes we do interviews with different cast members. Sometimes we play, uh, like, improv games. Aubrey's been, like, boasting about how good this new improv game is for, like, a day now, so I'm very excited for that. That's called Breaking Tides. You get that. You also get uh, pictures, posts, all that type of stuff. Aubrey recently put up a post about uh, a bunch of the pre-art that he drew to give himself like references for the series before it was called uh, Dark Tides. And you also find out you know, what the original name was. It's that type of stuff. We'll also be putting up pilot episodes, tester episodes, all that type of stuff. And also you'll get one-off episodes and all that type of stuff. So we've already recorded a few. A very, very funny one sent at a, um, what was it? It was at a, the... Summer Carnival. Yeah, the Summer Carnival. Lots of fun, that type of stuff. So that's the type of stuff you're getting. Anyway. It was very good. Now, I have been warned by the host, mm. Aubrey, um, that we have to keep the fun facts brief this week because he has things planned. So... I'm going to briefly give you a fun fact out for... Oh, my goodness. I'm going to start that again. So I'm going to briefly give I'm you... I'm keeping a, it in. A, <laughs> a fun fact... Oh, I forgot you're editing this episode, <laughs> don't you? Oh, damn it. Um, anyway, so as, we've, as we're aware, Alistair has a bit of a problem with authority. <laughs> what? So I thought I might like to shed some light on where that came from. So when he was eight years old, mm. he, uh, he was at school and... He, he didn't have a lot of friends in primary school. He had a few friends in high school, but in primary school, he had no friends. And so he would sit with his older sister, Zoe. And when she graduated to high school and she went into year seven, the the the, the town of Port Staples is small enough that the primary school and the high school are like across the road from each other. So he at lunchtimes, he would just head over across the road, sit with his sister and her friends. And her friends were like, yeah, it's a bit annoying, but he keeps his mouth shut, so it's fine, and go back. The first time he did this, on his first day on uh, at school, the first day of the year of the new year when his sister was going into high school, he went across the road and sat with her at lunch, and he forgot that the high school lunch time finishes at a different time to the primary school lunch time. And so he was late back to class, and he got into so much trouble from his teacher and just immediately had a dislike for this teacher ever since. And he was like, it's okay, mum's going to pick me up, I'll talk to her. No, his dad picked him up that day because his mum was busy. His dad did not understand and only made the situation worse. And worse still, his sister Zoe wasn't able to help him either because she had something to do. She had sport after school. So he was just completely on his own. And he that teacher had a grudge against him for the rest of his life. All right. Um, so, funnily enough, Ernest also has a weird problem with <laughs> with authority, which is strange considering the type of person he is. But I think for Ernest, the type of people and elderly people he respects... So, he likes people like his grandfather, his grandfather Edgar, which his older brother is named after, who was the whole big kind of scouting guy of his family, which is why... Ernest and his brother became scouts and he loved his grandfather because his grandfather was the most unassuming, undemanding, uncontrolling adult there ever was in his life. 
He's always happy to give people his respect who who don't want it. Who are just, who, <laughs> who are don't just, need it. Who are just doing their own thing. He will always respect someone who's doing their own thing, not someone who's commanding him about what to do. Yeah, it sounds like Alice Ernest has actually I'd say maybe both of them. Both of them have a problem, not so much with authority as with confrontation. No, no, or he's screwing up his face in thought. Or um, now he's gone head head to the forehead, hand to the forehead. He's all like, of this is getting edited thinking. out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he usually does that because he's trying to block you out. Yeah, I'm trying like, not block to listen out the to rave way, the waves. All right, doesn't matter. Moving on. We're cutting that. <laughs> we're really we're really doubling down on the the sibling name reveals today, aren't we? All right. Uh, last week. You tussled with a crazy old man, broke into an abandoned house, uh, searched it and found a laptop. You had an emotional breakdown with Bernie, who was having an emotional breakdown, and you didn't stop to ask him why he was upset. <laughs> that's that's Alistair's side of the adventure. <laughs> On Ernest's side, he went through um, just a significant amount of trauma, really. He went through trials and tribulations. Trials, tribulations, and more and more trauma. Um, yes, he confronted what he now knows to be a shape-shifting creature, a changeling, if you will, uh, who just enjoys consuming people's memories and feeding off them. So a pretty fun day out for yeah, Ernest, yeah, really. Yeah. Alistair's day, but... the one we should really be worried about in this situation. <laughs> yeah, so last we left you, Alistair was trekking through the woods following Gertrude, Winston with a K's... Uh, daughter apparently who is taking believe that (laughs) who is taking them supposedly to talk to someone who knows where the boy is on this merry-go-round a storm is overtaking the archipelago of hookbar the dense boiling clouds tower like mountains the rain races across the sea till it finally reaches the shore all over the archipelago fat raindrops fall hammering on roofs and window panes Thunder makes the trees shudder as the wind tosses them like the waves beyond. In the midst of this storm, the beleaguered ferry docks in Port Staples. The little grizzled captain emerges into the driving rain and whipping wind, escorting two passengers, a man and a woman. The man is short but powerfully built, with watchful eyes and an impressive set of mutton chops that join into a moustache. He wears a sheepskin jacket with a fleece collar turned up. On the shoulder is a sewn patch, military style. It depicts a hand reaching into the jaws of some giant monster. He carries two large suitcases and follows after the woman. She's small too, but has a lean build. Her auburn hair is tied up in a complex braided knot. She's wearing a heavy navy raincoat and carries a black umbrella. The dockmaster is waiting for them under the shelter of the customs booth. He shifts uneasily from foot to foot, his rosary bundled in his hand like a knot. He's been waiting for these passengers for an anxious week. The rain hammers heavier on the thin roof. When they step under the cover alongside him, the ferry captain leaves and the dockmaster eagerly shakes both their hands. They have to shout a little to make themselves heard over the storm. I'm glad you were able to make it so soon. I have everything you requested. Uh, the, the car is waiting and he's cut off by the woman. Thank you, Mr. Hin. You've been most helpful. Rest assured, we'll take care of your concerning matter. But first, where is the boy? Mr. Hin flinches at the mention. In the north, the police sent a search by Dushink Cove early this morning. The woman nods curtly. Then time is of the essence. 
He must be secured before anyone else has a chance to intervene. And the mother? Mr. Hinn shakes his head. Still missing, but I would bet my life she's tracking her son. The boy is our first priority. The mother second. After they are secured, we can deal with your problem. Thank you, ma'am. With another curt nod, the two strangers step back into the pouring rain. Mr. Hinn watches them go, then offers a silent prayer of thanks before ducking out into the rain himself. Soon this disaster will be over, now that the professionals have arrived. Well, you saying Alistair's not a professional? Oh, absolutely. Alistair is a mess. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Meanwhile, hiking through the dense trees outside of the abandoned Shink Cove, Alistair Stern feels a drop on the back of his neck. Then another, and another, until all of a sudden the downpour arrives. Officer Bernie is doing his best to keep his rifle protected under his windbreaker. Ahead, Winston, the manic junkyard hermit, and his daughter Gertrude are, stoi <laughs> are stoically marching along. What's Alistair doing? He's just walking. He's he's trying to he's trying to like not like you know you know when it's raining and you you kind of like screw your face up because you don't want the water like he's trying not to do that he's trying to just like keep his eyes focused and like his hair is getting in his eyes and he's like nope just ignore the rain just keep walking okay if I knew you were coming <laughs> and he's walking he's just he's thinking about Ernest oh man I wonder how he's going because he knows that they were going to a cave and he's he's thinking about oh maybe that means the water like I hope that doesn't mean that any water levels in the cave is going to rise and oh, I hope that's no problem. Meanwhile, the rain is falling into the open pit that is the entrance to Hon Caves. Small rivulets of water collect, then pool and drop down like miniature waterfalls. They flow downwards through passages and tunnels, leaking between rocks, always downwards. Deeper down and further in, Ernest Marsh is sitting with his back to the wall of a small cave. Before him, a changeling creature wearing his brother's face sits. As the creature moves in, Ernest pulls a taser from his pocket and lunges forward. Ernest, I'd like you to make an attack roll. Um, actually, before we get into that, uh, I'd like you to roll a d4 of um, stress damage, considering this thing has just turned into your brother. One. He knows it's not his brother. That's remarkable, actually. <laughs> yeah, so he is well aware that it's not his brother. Once he saw the Nancy stuff, he was able to kind of disillusion all of it. All right, so you're making an attack roll. Mm -hmm. Right, roll your damage. It's a three. Ernest leaps forwards and more try less trying to tase it and more just trying to hurt it, stabs the taser into its stomach, puncturing the skin and activating it. You jab forwards with as much force as you can muster. And as you do this, the creature was moving in as well and it brings its arms up. You think at first to defend itself, but it's reaching for you and it grabs your face, its hands on either side of your head. You feel his hands clamp onto either side of your face and you see your brother's eyes roll back. But instead of white, they become pools of ink, just endless darkness. You feel your strength sap and a chill like ice water runs over your skin and you feel your mind begin to spiral. Then suddenly, just as the feeling begins, the connection snaps and this changeling recoils with a scream. It cringes on the ground, writhing. You can't tell really whether it's the taser or whatever just happened to your head, but it's watching you. 
Its eyes stare with panic and horror, and you realize it's not so much the taser, it's what it's just seen inside your head. Ernest kind of recoils back a bit, kind of getting his head a little bit, and then the burning anger returns to him and he is going to leap onto it with the taser again. All right. So he lands on it again and stamps it just below the rib cage once again into the creature. All right, you do this, and as you do, you kind of reach out with your hand, you grab its head to stop it from moving as you're trying to pin this thing down. And as you do, this same feeling comes over you, this chill that is unpleasant, and you feel the same sensation. Your mind begins to spiral and then drop away. But this time, whereas last time it was spiraling backwards, this time you're spiraling forwards and down. You're plummeting through depths of dark water. Then suddenly, you're standing on the deck of a ship with tall masts above you. The sea is rough. There are gulls. There are shouting sailors. You look down and your hands are small. They are a child's hands. Past them you see a white and blue dress. It's a style that was fashionable hundreds of years ago. You look around as people are shouting. You see a man run to the railing beside you, pointing. Off in the distance, a collection of islands in the fog. The archipelago. Then you're falling again. Down, down, down. This time, you find yourself on a rocky shore. Dark stone underneath your feet, the water lapping. Around you, people are unloading crates and opening them. They're setting camps. You're holding a hand. It's warm. You look up and it's your mother. Not Ernest's mother, but a woman you know is your mother. She's beautiful. She's giving you a neatly wrapped parcel, a present. Again, you're falling deeper and deeper. The water around you is growing colder. You then land again on your feet. Now you're standing by a deserted fire that's burnt low. As you look, there are bodies laying all around motionless. There's blood soaking into your shoes. You lock eyes with a hulking shape, tall as the trees around you. In its hand, it holds a half-eaten body. It reaches a taloned hand for you. You run. Again, you fall, tumbling down into deeper memories, falling faster into things long hidden, long forgotten. You're in a cave entrance, a safe place, then tunnel after tunnel, cave after cave, until you are well and truly lost. Then this cave, the small one, a safe space. You watch yourself unwrapping that present. A box of pencils. You watch yourself draw on the wall using those pencils. You draw yourself, a girl on a ship with a blue dress. And then you fall again into darkness and cold for time out of mind. Then you're back to yourself, Ernest, Ernest Marsh, standing in a cave lit by a torch, this shrinking, cringing figure underneath you as you continue to tase it. Ernest kind of pulls the taser back, uh, blood dripping from the end of it, and he kind of stumbles off and falls backwards, kind of blocking the, the one remaining entrance to the area and kind of half gets to his feet, half on his knees type of thing, still holding the taser and looks at the creature. It has lost its form it's no longer your brother you look at it and it is this dark 
formless creature humanoid but the bones are wrong the face is wrong it's dark waxy green skin it's still wearing your jacket and it curls itself into a ball in the corner Ernest looking at it very directly holds out his hand expectingly it, it is in the corner as far away from you as it can get give it back it huddles further into the jacket and wraps it around itself he flicks on the taser again which sends out a white light that flickers and illuminates the cave as the crackling sound echoes around the cave it shudders and then in a scramble it peels the, the jacket off itself and throws it at your feet he quickly picks it up and kind of folds it and puts it under his arm and he looks at it still the hand out and then kind of turns it from under to over like a hand out type of thing like palm forwards and says I don't know what you are but I'm getting a starting to get a picture and kind of gestures the room of the things you've done I pity you genuinely and he kind of looks around the room again and says, but I I don't know what to do and kind of points and says I'm not going to hurt you but if anyone else disappears here I will know it was you and I will come back and I'll come back out and he kind of holds the finger up and says I'm going to go and find my friends if you interfere I will still be leaving here he kind of rolls his shoulders and puts the jacket back on and says I'm Ernest Marsh and you don't take the face of a marsh boy and starts to head through the tunnel behind it. It watches you go as you uh, bend double and worm your way through this small entrance. And as you go, it waits until it knows it's alone. And then it rummages through the pack of items, the jumble of items in the corner until it finds a little wooden box and inside the stubs of several pencils and it begins to draw on the wall it draws a little boy wearing a scout uniform and towering over it some strange elongated creature with long spreading horns like a deer's and heavy hands as it draws this image onto the smooth walls of the cave it chants to itself over and over again lead them out Lead them out, lead them out, lead them out, lead them out. Oh, hello there, valued and dedicated Dark Tides listener. 
My name is Semitone, and look, I promise it won't be long. I just thought I'd pop on here to let you know that the Dark Tides Patreon has just released a brand new $10 third Patreon tier, which means if you, the listener, head over to patreon.com slash darktides and you sign up for the third $10 tier, you will receive access to two, not one, but two brand new shows by the makers of Dark Tides. The first is an in-world, in-canon radio show called Tower Transmissions, starring Dave Lightning uh, and his friend Carl. But to be honest, the one you really want is Solar Scar, which is a sci-fi bounty hunting adventure extravaganza featuring myself, Semitone, and my partner Marty as we fight our way through a ruthless and sometimes quite ridiculous world trying to pay off our debts and just generally keep ourselves out of trouble, which, to be honest with ya, we don't do a great job of most of the time. But anyway, if you want to have a listen to these brand new shows, head over to patreon.com slash darktides and give it a geese. Alright, thanks a lot. I hope you're having a good day and I will let you get back to the main show. Uh, we return to Alistair, who is attempting to keep as much of the water off himself as possible. You are on a muddy track following Winston and Gertrude. You are threading your way through trees on the slope of Mount Hookbar. You've kind of come out of the bay or the cove that uh, Shink is built into, and you're heading deeper into the woods. The terrain here is rocky and steep. There's a lot of tall trees growing close together. You soon round a corner in the trail, and there is a steep drop on the left-hand side down into a riverbed. The river is rushing now as the rain and all the little streams feed it. On the right-hand side of the trail, it's still quite a steep bank upwards. And as you round this corner, you can see ahead of you a bridge that crosses the river. And beyond it, you can see the compound for a logging mill. Bernie kind of bumps up behind you as you kind of slow down to look at this. And he uh, he kind of jogs you a little and says, "How uh, how you doing?" Yeah, I'm all right. I was just thinking about Ernest. I'm hoping he's getting along. Okay. Oh, he's got Nancy and Randy. I mean, what could go wrong? Except, well, I mean, there was that one time. I mean, Randy, sixteen car pile up. Gosh, that was so much paperwork. Anyway. <laughs> That's more cars than they're even in the about. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that, Bernie. Oh, yeah, you were there, weren't you? Yep. Mm. Someone had to sweep up the glass, and that was me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all, it's all work. Yeah. So this is interesting. He points at the logging mill. It's like, um, I think that thing's been closed a long time. He looks back at you, and he's like, Bernie, you'd ever wonder why we're why we're still here on uh, this island. Uh, that would be because I have a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> look, he, he kind of leans on your shoulder and goes, uh, look, Ali, you're a little young yet, but when you get to my age, uh, responsibility really takes over and there's a lot of things that you do, not because you want to, but because that's kind of just what being an adult looks like. Trust me, if I could have gotten out of here, man, I could have been an actor. <laughs> I really think I could have made Alistair, it. You know? like he's he's like 
looking very directly <laughs> towards the camp, and just like when Bernie says that, he just just there's like a, a slight break in his stare. He's like, wait, what? Uh, Winston with an L leans up against uh, Bernie in the same way that he's leaning up against Alistair and says, Me too, my boy. Me too. I remember back in my first years. First year? That sounds weird. Back when I was a boy. Oh, I loved the stage. I played Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, what a play. What a stage. What a play. Winston, like, wraps his arm around... Uh, Bernie's waist and kind of leads him forwards and says, "What have you been, my boy?" Oh, I, uh, well, when I was uh, a teenager, I was in a, a toothpaste commercial. Um, oh, toothpaste! I Wonderful. It well, they're they're walking on ahead of you, uh, leaving you at the back of the group. Alistair like slowly follows, and it's just he just has this thought just repeating in his mind. It's just, I hate this island. I, I, I hate this island. I hate it. And like he's he's looking around at the scenery and the, you know the, the river and the logging camp and he, he's seeing all of it in the trees and it just it doesn't have an impact and he can't, he's not focusing on what it actually looks like. All he can see is just continual layers of hatred for this place, mm-hmm. and he slowly shakes his head and like kind of just gets himself out of it and follows the others towards the logging camp. As you do so, so you overhear. Bernie saying, I've been thinking about starting an after-school program, you know, teaching theatre to kids. Oh, you offering me the position? I I would love to. Well, um... Gertie, Gertie. Hey, so you two, and I kind of jog up to you, and I'm like, so is this, um, Winston, is this your kind of base? Is this your... No, I'm a nomad, my man. All right. I can't just drift, you know? Gertrude is standing on the bridge just waiting, and she's kind of... She wears a pretty kind of heavy coat. She's got her her hands in her pockets. She's kind of got her shoulders up against her neck to protect herself from the rain a little bit, and she's just waiting, and you kind of get the the feeling that this is kind of just her life. Right, as you move on to this bridge, you realise that it, it's an old industrial, uh, like, cast iron bridge. The trucks would be coming either from Shink Cove or from other towns um, to the mill, bringing in lumber, taking lumber, doing whatever. So this is a pretty industrial bridge that you're on. And at the other end of it, at the entrance to this mill, there is a pretty high wire fence and a gate that is closed. As you approach... You can see inside that this place has been, like Shink Cove, has been abandoned for a long time, but you can see people moving in and out of buildings, most of them getting out of the rain. A few people are like bringing in washing that was hung out. Uh, and there are two guys standing under a little tarpaulin uh, as sort of sentries at the gate. And Gertrude walks up to the gate. She uh, speaks to them quietly, keeping her back to you guys. They kind of peer around her at you one of them is looking extremely unhappy to see uh, alistair waves <laughs> you don't know any of these people <laughs> alistair waves with the the friendliest smile he can possibly muster yeah, which is not for that, that friendly still roll, looks like a roll. sneer all right all right fair that's a six it's decent yeah it's friendly but it also it's the kind of smile 
you give someone when you have forgotten their name and you are desperately hoping for this conversation to be over. <laughs> or I feel like that's Alistair's standard smile. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty normal. So for him, it's a, it's a good, friendly smile. For anyone else, it's an awkward, uncomfortable person who wants to be left alone. <laughs> All right, these two guys... Uh, Representing his true inner self, really. Is. <laughs> yeah, these two guys nod to Gertrude and they, uh, they start winding a crank that pulls these gates. Uh, they're pretty heavy gates, actually. They're on a runner. Pulls them open. Uh, Gertrude leads you through and kind of shruggingly... Alistair waves to the guard again. He kind of gives you a, an awkward half-thumbs-up and uh, keeps doing what he's doing. <laughs> Obviously doesn't want to have a conversation. Um, oh, I love that. It's fine. Neither does Alistair. Uh, okay, so yeah, you you kind of enter this compound, and you can see that most of these buildings are probably occupied. There's on the left hand side, there's kind of a row of things that would either be storage places, sheds for drying wood, housing tools. Uh, one's definitely like a mess hall for workers. Uh, ahead of you, there is a great big main uh, workshop space, which would be where all the actual milling and stuff is done. There are kind of people poking their heads out. There's maybe 50, 60 people living here, it looks like. As uh, Gertrude leads you towards this large main shed, she kind of gestures around and says, Well, um, welcome. This is the refuge where the children of the tide wait. And wait, and wait. Refuge from what exactly? Um, the world, I guess. She kind of, she's still moving. She goes, if you hadn't really picked up, this is sort of an alternate lifestyle community and a religious thing. And uh, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Alistair kind of just like takes all that in. He's like, okay, sure. Yep. You've alternate lifestyle. Gotcha. You've uh, never heard of this place, have you? Gotcha. Nope. Never heard of it. Well, I mean, it's... She kind of stops. It's still raining, by the way, and she does not seem to mind at all. She kind of just is used to it, and she kind of gestures around and goes, I mean, don't ask me why, but, you know, you build a place like this in the middle of the mountains where no one comes, and then you have a very active social media. I really don't... It's like they don't know what they're planning. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of goes, anyway, I'll, um, I'll introduce you to Cousin Gil. He's... The prophet, I guess. Butterscotch. Dad, we've talked about this. He really does not like you or you calling right. him that. Sir Butterscotch That's why you were banned. I was not banned. I left by request. Gertrude, take me to your Butterscotch. This one gets it. Yes. Gertrude grabs you like by the collar and kind of pulls you in close and goes, look, you have no idea what I have to deal with oh, all hey, of okay, the time. That's a little close. That's all right. Oh, you, you're uncomfortable? You've got some issues with personal space? Huh? So do I. I live in a commune with 60 other people. Privacy is not a real thing here. She kind of shoves you away. It's like, typical city boy. <laughs> keeps moving. Winston. Excuse me, and I walk up to her. She kicks you in the shin and keeps walking. I kick her in the shin, Aubrey. All right, roll for that. I kick her in the back of the All right. knee. Winston with an M is still talking in the background. Like, it was a beneficial decision to get me to live outside the quarters of the commune to seek out new people to request, you know, to join. The... I, wasn't, I wasn't asked to leave. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, you go to like kick her in the back of the leg. If like it a- hadn't hit the biscuit tray, it would have been a 10, but it's a two. Yeah, it's a two. You kind of go and really you just stamp in a puddle of mud. Um, she turns around and just kicks you in the kneecap. She rolled a three, but higher than a two. So <laughs> she's. Just- no! <laughs> no, no, that's actually still a failure. So she tries yeah. to kick you too and also just sort of splashes mud. So now you've both just got mud on your pants. It's it's about now you realise Gertrude is probably younger than you. <laughs> She's probably a prime teenager, angsty, rebellious phase. She's probably about 16. Uh, she doesn't really look it. She's about as big as you. I look at her and I give her my best attempt at a civil face. And I go, excuse me, maybe we got off on the wrong foot. <laughs> But I have been living here my entire life, so I don't know who you think you're calling a city boy, but you better cut that attitude, all right? Do you make that gesture that you just made in real life? Absolutely. Which is sort of a sassy... I don't really know how you describe that. I don't know what that is. A pinch grab wiggle with your hand. (laughs) It's like the uh uh-huh girlfriend snap snap. Yeah, but like like a threatening... A threatening version of that a threatening version of that yeah sure i do exactly she that. gets right up in your face and does the exact same gesture and goes i have never seen you before in my life i don't care who you are or where you come from you're gonna step off boy is he, is he gonna pull like rank of being the mayor's son <laughs> i have never seen you before either Okay, I'm just saying you need to not assume that people have less experience than you just because they look differently or because they've come from somewhere that you don't know. Okay, now, I don't know what what this situation, this commune thing, maybe you think you're a big deal and that's great. I'm really happy for you. But just, just keep in mind there is more things happening on this island than your perfect little society. Okay? I feel like this is about to turn to like a rap battle. <laughs> People are starting to like gather out of the houses. They're know watching why this I argument. A fight with her I don't know why that happened. Uh, Winston kind of starts moving forwards as if he's about to like preside over this argument, but Bernie kind of uh, puts a hand on his shoulder and draws him back and goes, um, puts an arm around Winston's shoulder and goes, uh, Look, I think it's better we just let this play out. Uh, <laughs> Alistair does not have very good social skills. Oh, and I, I think it's. Gonna, I was just going to join in. Yeah, no, I think it's better to let them sort it out themselves. I don't know a whole lot about uh, teenagers, but from the uh, drug awareness programs I've had to uh, run in the high school, it's really better not to get involved when they start getting no confrontational. No terrible with Alistair. That's, that's good. I, actually, I, that's I really, all he's trained. He's, like, he's got a handbook that he's referring back to all the time. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. We, we don't really have much of a drug problem in the, the commune. Things might have changed in the six years since I was kicked out, but we'll see. I'm not kicked out. <laughs> All right. Um, I would like Alistair to roll for me. Absolutely. If I is there is there any skill I can? No, probably not. Not for this. This is natural twelve, Aubrey. That is a natural twelve. That is a natural twelve, which is a twelve that I have rolled naturally. That's the best score BJ's gotten in like All right. three episodes. I know. <laughs> so this roll was an intimidation roll to see which one of you would get the upper hand. Okay. Uh, Gertrude rolled a five. Basically, when you say this to her, you kind of see her scrunch up her face and even as hard as she is trying, she can't quite stop herself beginning to cry. So she just kicks mud at you and storms away and she um, she shoves past people into one of the buildings. Alistair uh, 
completely ignores the mud that's been kicked in his face and he looks around at the people that have started to gather and he says, Hello! Uh, you don't know me, but I am here on a very important mission and I don't mean to undermine the secrecy of your whatever's going on here. Winston yells out, He's on a mission from God! <laughs> and that... Um, Thank you, Winston. A group of people emerge from the uh, the half up rusted closed roller door of the big big shed uh, and you can see these obviously like the head honchos these are the people who are dressed in basically robes um <laughs> alistair walks and like as soon as he sees that he just turns and like immediately starts striding towards them and waving he's like hello hello it's me my name's alistair you, you haven't met me um I'm I'm uh, currently on a very important mission uh, with the police. I'm searching for a child, so I don't mean to to get in your hair or like get in your way. He's like still striding towards them. <laughs> but uh, if you could just help me, we're looking for a missing child. If you could give us a hand, we'll get out of here as soon as we can, and uh, we'll leave you to whatever it is that you do here. Yeah, he walks like too close, like immediately up to these people, like quite close to them. All right, you've correct. Hands on his hips. You, you've um, you're you're standing in front of a very large man. He he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to. He's tall and buff. He has blonde hair and muscles, and he kind of stares down at you. He's wearing impressive robes. In fact, all of the kind of people around him are wearing impressive robes. Alistair, emboldened by his success with uh, Gertrude, he looks up and he says... Success! <laughs> uh, Alistair, emboldened by what in his view is a successful confrontation with uh, Gertrude, he just looks dead in this guy's face and he's like, so are you uh, the butterscotch guy or is that you? <laughs> this, this towering man looks down at you and he... Uh, he steps to the side and goes, uh, uh, "No, uh, you wanna you wanna talk to Gil." And he points to the um, back into the big shed and goes, uh, "We were just coming out to see what the what the excitement was." <clears throat> Alistair goes, "Thank you," and like pats him on the shoulder, like quite sternly, like you know, like the classic middle aged man uh, like, congratulating a youngster. Good job, son. That's a that's a good job. Yeah, exactly. That. Exactly like Alistair's father would do to him, and he hates it when his father does that. He like whacks him on the shoulder. He's like, "Yeah, thanks, thanks," and he like walks off towards Gil. All right. Um, all right. What has happened to Alistair's character in about thirty know. seconds? He's turned into Ernest in thirty seconds. <laughs> Not really. He just intimidated somebody. He's feeling happy about that. Finally, he's tried to beat up an old man a few times and it hasn't worked. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get to the point where we make Alistair feel bad for picking on Gertrude because he doesn't actually have any idea what her life is like. <laughs> no, of course he doesn't. But she doesn't have any idea what his life is like either, Aubrey. No, but do you expect them to? Anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is Alistair we're talking about. These the views and opinions expressed by Alistair <laughs> do not concern the, the views and opinions of the real life person BJ Ingate. All right, <laughs> we return to Ernest, who has squirmed his way through this small opening into yet another cramped tunnel. You have your torch with you. You have your jacket back. Uh, you have some of your gear still. Some of it has been kind of lost or used or whatever through the last little while. Mm -hmm. What is Ernest's health and stress level like at the moment? Okay, yeah, so he, he he's is, used up he's, 10 out of the 15. He's two-thirds of the way towards a full breakdown. 
where all right so you're moving through these these caverns and tunnels shape changes and you can hear water flowing and it's getting louder and louder as you listen uh as you wander and direction is hard to maintain hard to kind of pin down exactly where you think you are uh you pass through a tunnel and into another cave and as you stop to catch your breath you hear amid the sound of water which is coming from somewhere you hear a low murmuring sound and often in the far corner of this cave you see a tiny tiny sliver of light Ernest goes up to it and tries to like peer through the sliver as you approach uh, the murmuring sound forms itself into words and you can actually make out what is being said it is a man's voice uh, and he is humming to himself and then it the humming turns into singing and he says <laughs> I am glad I am a ranger there's nothing I'd rather be but if I weren't a ranger a bird watcher I would be <laughs> uh, and as you peer through this crack you see the silhouette of a man on the floor with a um, a torch and he is eating a muesli bar this <laughs> kind of gets close to the little hole it's like suddenly there is a scrabble and the light turns off and it's suddenly silent it sort of shines his light through it alright you can't see anyone but you can see into the cave and you can see that there's a backpack on the ground and a couple of wrappers of muesli bars he shines the light on his face and says my name's Ernest Marsh I'm, I'm the new park ranger guy I've been sent here to save you I kind of say, well, I came with other people. It's this is a disaster. This is an absolute disaster. Yeah. I know you're Brett, though. There is no response. So this is this is kind of a weird little sliver, but you could push your way into this cave. Ernest kind of pauses and kind of shines the light around, and then says, "But if I wasn't a ranger, a sailor I would be." All right, you you sing this, and there is silence. You poke your head through the um the the entranceway into this little cave and you shine your torch around and what you see is a small man he is about as tall as you though he is fully grown he's got pretty muscular little arms and a full beard uh, round glasses but he is balding pretty significantly and he is standing like flattened to the wall next to the entrance holding a big piece of driftwood above his head like ready to smack whatever tries to come through <laughs> the the door and he looks terrified and this kind of holds his hand down it's like if I don't come back with you Gina's gonna like skin me alive <laughs> I'm not the changing thing I'm not, <laughs> the, thing, I'm not the thing that changes okay. its face he drops the wood and like bends over and he goes, I thought it'd come back. Oh. And it's kind of like pats his pocket Ooh. and like, nope, that's, uh, that's not going to happen anymore. I have to say, uh, there are a few things that scare me more than that creature, but Gina is one of them. He kind of, he, sta <laughs> he stands up again, hands on hips. He is breathing like he's a runner marathon. He's going, he starts pacing and he goes like, oh, I was supposed to be finding missing people and then I'm in a labyrinth of horror and a creature that wants to wear people's faces <sighs> he gets down like on on his knees in front of you who are still like you're kind of crouching to get your head through this little entrance and he like sits down in front of you and goes I have had 
the worst week of my life. You have no idea. Ernest kind of like reaches his arm through and like pats him on the shoulder. He, he flinches as you go to touch him. He goes, please, please don't. That thing, that thing touched me and um, then it was... It had my face. Ernest kind of like, Ernest like turns the pat into like a thumbs up and says, yep, that happened to me too. Uh, and you'd also use your face to trick me and my friends into trying to get you out, but it wasn't you, and now it's taken my two friends. So, you yeah, know, uh, Ran uh, Officer Randy and Officer Nancy. Oh, dear God, not Randy. <laughs> yes, it is Randy. Yes, <laughs> he yes. He starts hyperventilating again. <laughs> he starts breathing again. He starts going through his pockets. He takes a, a, an inhaler out and goes, <sighs> Okay. Look, I'll, 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 uh, I'll shoot you straight here, friend. I am not convinced that you are real or that you are not the creature. But I'm running out of options and I've eaten all my muesli bars. I really want to get out of here and even if you, like, kill me and wear my skin, at this stage I'm starting to think that that might be a better option than living in this cave in the dark. All right, here's my plan. you got to get me out of here. <laughs> I was kind of like, tilts his head slightly and was like, Sure, okay. Um, yes, alright, that that works. We can get you out of here. Uh, and kind of like tries to look around the room. It's like, is there a way to get you out of here? Uh, no, I discovered this cave uh, in the midst of... Uh, Escape. I wouldn't call it that. Just panicked running. I, uh, I hit myself in the head, ran into the door of the cave door. It's a crag. It's a crack. I don't know. I just found myself in here and decided that I shouldn't leave anymore. Well, well, you got in there. Yes. Yes. Yes? Yes. Yes. So there is a way to get... Could you have a look for me to see if there is a way out? He looks around the room and he looks at you. You are standing in the only way to get in and out of this cave. That's why I stayed here, because it seems safer. I think you've misjudged the dimensions of the cave. This <laughs> kind of looks at the whole life. So can you fit through this? Yes. Could you please come through there? <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Okay, and pokes his head back out. <laughs> All right. Um, a second. <laughs> that was that was great. <laughs> I didn't really describe it well. Sorry. <laughs> that was so. It's like I think you've um misread the dimension, <laughs> Chester. <laughs> All right. Um, you wait a second, and then uh, his torch turns back on, and he horrendously like yoga poses his way out of this weird little fissure in the rock you have no idea how a man this size he's not big but he's like beefy he's he's well built he you have no idea how he got in there you would struggle to get in there but a uh, panic does a lot so he gets out and he uh he's wearing the park rangers uniform kind of the pol green polo shirt with um the insignia of the rangers on the pocket he stands to attention with his, his backpack on and goes, Ranger of Red Pastel, reporting for duty. Wonderful. Uh, one quick thing. Uh, what's the name of your chief? Uh, you mean Chief Lester? Wonderful. Okay. Let's keep going then. Uh, okay. He, so he trots behind you like an obedient child. And, and uh, it's like slows a little bit. It's like, turns back to him. It's like, what's wrong? Kind of like stares at him a little bit. It's like, is something mm. is is Gina angry? 
I, oh, I feel oh like... she's she's very angry, but it's more just um oh, I was boy. in a situation like this before and uh yeah, the creature like shoved me through. It was my friend and then was no longer my friend and then shoved me into a cave. Oh yeah, that 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 happened to me except it was one of the people who were supposed to be uh, missing. And it's kind of like brushes his chin as like look, he he just, he takes a big step backwards and he goes, "Um I'm really happy to just follow at a distance if that would make you more comfortable but also I would be happy to go ahead because then nothing can come up behind me but uh, or then also there's well, something in front of behind, me I could come up behind you in that situation he uh he, he starts bending forward again like hands on knees and starts breathing he's going I now, th- honestly honestly this actually no I'm just going to trust you you can walk as close or as far behind me as you want just close enough so that we don't get separated wonderful and he's going to take a take off at a march alright Brett uh, trots up behind you and he's holding like the back of your backpack <laughs> he's like very close behind say, you. you like just like link arms or something <laughs> yes all right you continue to uh wander aimlessly through cave after cave uh until brett grabs you and he says uh hold on do you do you hear that uh, i want you to roll for me uh, it's one. No, All right. just a scene to himself. You, you, he um he kind of pulls on your sleeve and he shows you uh, his walkie-talkie, which is flashing a light and it's giving a um a kind of baseline buzz, which is a uh, distress signal setting, and it goes bzz 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 bzz, and he 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 kind of starts searching you for yours and he pulls it out yours is buried pretty deep in your your backpack and it's also going bzz, 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 bzz. and he goes um so you said okay so you said he's like rubbing his temples you said you came down here with randy mm-hmm. and someone else uh where are the other rangers Please tell me someone else came for me. Ernest looks at him and is like, the other person's name was... The other person? I said... You said Randy and, I don't know, someone else. Honestly, I kind of got a bit fixated Nancy. on the Randy bit. Nancy. A couple of years ago, he... Um, well, there was a traffic accident. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started riding a push bike after that. Uh, Ernest kind of like uh, rubs so, his... Oh, N- Nancy's here. Yes, Nancy's Oh, here. he kind of like relaxes. He's like, wow, we used to play bingo together. And it was, was kind of like rubs his eyebrow. I was like, that sounds like her. Yes. Um, uh, so there, all the other rangers are missing. He goes, sorry. What? Gina's in the hospital. She broke a leg. Uh, sort of. Oh, no. She's going to be so angry. <laughs> she was very angry. She yelled at me for about 20 minutes. I yelled at her for about five minutes. I'm sorry. You, you, you what? It was a different time, different situation. I got control of myself. He, he kind of, he looks you dead in the eye and goes, that is the most impressive thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he kind of claps you on the shoulder and goes, uh, young man. You are the future. A far better ranger. <laughs> he, he just like, he just doesn't have words. He's just sort of gesturing in the air and goes, "You're going to be really good here." It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like shru- like nods a little bit. It's like, "Hmm." So, uh, yeah. So uh, she's in the hospital. She's kind of calling the shots now because the chief is missing and all the other rangers are missing. You were the first one we got a signal from, so we were coming for you. The chief's missing. Mm-hmm. Oh. No. 
Owen just kind of no. considers telling him the situation with the chief. Uh. And I was like, no, I'm not going to get this guy any closer to a panic attack. <laughs> I really want to be home. Owen just kind of pats him on the shoulder quite hard. He's, he's, his nose is running and he's kind of like... <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. He um he pats him on the shoulder like quite hard and like grips his shoulder and like Ow. leans down a little bit and looks at him and is like Brett Brett okay yeah Brett, we are the park rangers of Port Staples yeah again bearing the fact that he's not a park <laughs> ranger in the back of his mind it's like we are the park rangers of Port Staples we are currently all there is there are two people at least in here missing who I came in with. They're our responsibility to get out. There are more people missing. We have a responsibility here. We gotta try our best, we gotta do our best. Because we're park rangers, and there's no one else we'd rather be. And I pass him on the other shoulder and says, Now I'm gonna need your help. I'm gonna need your help with this. He kind of Gina is counting on us. <laughs> that does not help. He kind of looks panicked when you say that. But he he kind of he like he he's about forty. He, he, you should not be having to give this pep talk to this man. <laughs> but he goes, yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. We can do this. We can do this. Wonderful. And now he's going to turn his attention to the walkie-talkie and is going to try to switch it on and talk into it. Hello, this is Ernest Marsh, uh, receiving a distress signal. Uh, if anyone's out there, anyone nearby, close by, anything like that, uh, could you please say hello? Hello! You hear your own voice echoing from an adjacent tunnel. Ernest <laughs> picks up Brett's one and switches it off and speaks again. Hello! You, again, you hear it. It's far off, but you can hear your own voice echoing. Ernest kind of like cracks his neck and just like feels like a shiver run up his neck. It's like, oh, I don't like hearing my own voice. And heads after it. <laughs> All right, we're going to cut back now to Alistair. You have marched your way into the largest sort of industrial shed in the complex. You walk under this roller door. It's the old-fashioned kind that would be uh, wound up with a big chain pulley, and it's kind of rusted itself shut about halfway, but it's well above your head, and you walk in. You see that this place has been cleared out about as much as they possibly could. Big bits of machinery, uh, conveyor belts, saw tables, they've all kind of been either moved to the side or taken out completely. There is one massive um, piece of machinery in the middle that hasn't, it's too big to be moved. You see that vines and plant life have kind of reclaimed a lot of this and that there is in fact a vine that's growing all over this largest piece of machinery. As you get closer, you can see that someone has hung a pretty... uh, artistically embroidered uh, banner over the top of it. It's blue with a white circle in the middle and in the middle of the circle are like wavy lines kind of denoting a wave or water. And at the bottom of this, you can see people are milling around. There's a yoga class in one corner. Um, (laughs) Of course. In another, there is sort of a meditation circle and at the foot of this, this large piece of machinery, there is a man with a watering can kind of tending the vine. Uh, the big hulking guy who kind of led you in just kind of points and goes... Who followed me in. Yeah, who followed you in. He uh, he goes, um, 
I guess you're gonna wanna you're gonna want to talk to cousin uh, Gil. He, I, he he's like really shaken by you. I just like walk towards and I just like give him a thumbs up. It's like thanks. Right, uh, Bernie and Winston are is kind Winston of allowed in trotting after you, and as it stops, uh, the big guy kind of puts out a hand to stop Winston, and he's like, he goes, uh, uh, Mister uh, Winston. Oh come on, buddy, let me let the old man through, Mister Wither. It's uh, come on. Look, Mister Wither, we we've we've had this talk before. Oh um, come on, man. We leave that conversation and follow Alistair. All right, um. As you approach the the man, I gotta hear the goss. <laughs> the, the man turns around, and um, you can see he has kind of long a long shaggy mop of blonde hair that's going a little bit grey. He's wearing blue jeans and Nikes. He's wearing like a cotton button up shirt and an a an apron over the top of it. The apron says, "I've got green thumbs." And it's got like two thumb green thumbs up on it, and he he kind of turns around. He's holding a watering can and goes. Whoa, visitors! What a delight, son. Let me uh, let me introduce myself to you. He he goes to shake your hand. Goes, I'm cousin Gil. Gil Pender. Uh, Gil, hi. Great to uh, great to meet you. I'm great I'm to Alistair. meet you, Alistair. What a wonderful name. A strong name. Thank you. You can call me Ali. Uh, I, now I, I I'm sure you're very busy doing, and I kind of I look always at the vine. I always have time for a newcomer. You know, we try to be. Just as welcoming as we can possibly be here. Great, thanks. You hear, um, you hear Winston's voice like, "Ha!" <laughs> outside the door. Cousin Kane, he kind of talks to the big man. He goes, uh, "Cousin Kane, could you see Mister Wither? Uh, take him to his daughter, please." <laughs> Winston like points very dramatically and says. I have Mr. Butterscotch I have many things to say as he is like slowly guided down he the, is just being bodily path. dragged like you are just standing still and they are like arms around your middle just dragging you backwards and you are leaving tracks in the ground I expect answers to my letters Gil very dissatisfied Gil puts an arm around you and kind of turns you away and uh, kind of has a walk and talk with Alistair Bernie is trotting close behind so do you know him or like is there a history there Mr. Wither is an old member of our community he's been around for a long time uh, almost as long as me really uh, but he is well, he doesn't like to He's be... He's off his rocker, basically, is what you're trying to say. He, he kind of goes, whoa. He doesn't like to be around others. It isn't good for him, and he makes them uncomfortable. He yep, is welcome here, but not at meeting time, not when we're trying to discuss important things, and he always disrupts the small groups, and, you know, it's... Look, every, every family's got that one who's just a little bit more work than the others. But, you know, we, we got to love him anyway. Also, has anyone gotten the joke yet? Winston Wither. So he's still kind of chattering to you as he's going. As you can see, Children of the Tide, where our focus really is on holistic living, mind, body, and spirit all in one. You can see that's why we have these uh, wonderful yoga classes so run by that- Derek. Yes, that. children. Derek, children you, Derek, come meet this um, guy. I do have a couple of questions. I'm sure you're very busy. And of I'm course, busy as well, we have. He do. starts going through his pockets, and in I'm his just, apron pocket, he pulls out um, a pamphlet and goes, "We have some literature you might want to read." It I take of, it. Thank you. Explores I some of our pocket. core beliefs. 
Speaking of core beliefs, I my core belief, and he's guess, like, as you are talking, he kind of draws you in by one arm and then Bernie in by the other, and a phone sneaks out somewhere, and he takes a selfie with the three of you. Goes, uh, you mind if I uh, if I put this on our Instagram? It's always wonderful to have uh, new visitors. Not personally, uh, I'm not, but it, I mean, yeah. Anyway, you could uh, put it on yours and you could tag about us about that. Um, we're looking for a child that's gone missing now. I I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. Disrupt your situation. He spreads over his here. arms wide and goes, "We are all missing children here." Yes, but this one specifically we went missing in the town, and I was what the abandoned town of Shinkoven. I was just wondering, uh, Winston, flawed though he might be, uh, he said he knew something. I was just wondering, maybe you guys could help us out. We're we're searching. I'm with uh, Bernie. He's a member of the police. We're just uh, searching, and if you could help us out, we'll be out of your hair. We'll go back to Port Staples. We'll be fine. That'd be great. Yeah, Bernie kind of uh, takes his cue. patience is wearing very thin, but he's doing his best. Yeah, Bernie has kind of been unsure how to enter the conversation. At this point, he comes up and goes, uh, yes, sir, we are part of a... Um, Alistair takes a slight sigh of relief. <laughs> uh, we are part of a missing persons uh, search party. We are looking for a small boy uh, about eight years old. His name is Wilbur Perez. Uh, we had information that he might be in uh, Shink Cove and the trail has led us here. Please tell me you know something. Gil is kind of standing, uh, hands on hips, and he goes, I see, yes. Well, I guess, who knew? Uh, well, who knew? Winston's dreams sometimes, uh, well, they're unpredictable, but... Yeah, crazy, right? Now, if you could just tell us where Wilbur is, if you know, that'd be great. We'll just we'll be on our way. It'll be great. It'll be fine. Well, I can do that. You can see the boy. That's great. That's all fine. If we could do that I should explain a little something first for your um, uh, personal safety, I guess we, we would call he he again okay. kind of draws you in. He he likes to to kind of walk and talk with you, and he takes you back to Alistair the large does not banner. Not like that, but he's doing his best. He draws you back to the the big piece of machinery with the the drapery, the hanging sigil thing, and he goes. Well, if you look through our literature, you'll kind of see it outlined. But to give you the give you the skinny on uh, what we're about, have you ever noticed that? Um, well, a lot of things in our world aren't what they should be. Chaos seems to reign. Things happen for no reason. There are creatures in dark corners. Alistair, like, holds his hand up and looks him right in the eye, and he's like, you have no idea. He 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 takes your hand. Not quite sure what he's doing with it. He kind of takes your hand and kind of shakes it in solidarity and goes, boy, I, I have some idea. Yes. Well, I have been called and I have been blessed. I. There are powers in this world beyond what we can understand, and some of them have chosen to speak to me and through me. The children of the tide are a remnant. The end is coming, and I am not one of those doomsday preachers telling you everything's about to blow up, but everything's about to go down pretty south. Point is. Not many of humanity are going to survive, but children of the tide are going to. We are the remnant, and I'd love to see you with us when, well, when the end times come. 
Uh, Alistair nods slowly. He's processing many things. Anyway, long ago, I had a dream. I was just a, a little one myself. I knew something was coming down in that cove. I tried to tell people. I tried to warn them, but no one would listen, and it took them. The whole town. The island, too. But my point is, I see things... I dream things and they happen and it happens time and again and I've been told that boy little Wilbur I think you said that boy is the key to something very powerful and uh, well the powers that speak through me they want him and I think he might be what saves all of us now tonight we are having a big old get together whole family all the children and we are gonna Welcome Wilbur, and we're going to present him to that power that I spoke of. We don't really have a name for it. Um, I like to think of it as Mother. <laughs> Not quite Mother Earth. It's complicated. Read the pamphlet. The pamphlet's good. If you want to stick around for that, you are mighty welcome. So you're telling me you see things before they happen? Many things, yes. Not everything, but many things. And this has been happening your whole life? Pretty much, yeah. And this is what you... And I gesture to the giant banner. And this is what you do here. Yep. We teach people. We try to get them in touch with their senses. See, a lot of people have more of a sense for... I mean, I, I shy from calling it the supernatural, but the unexplained anyway, most people have more of a sense of it than they realize. And Alistair it's something kind of we shut off. It's like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Gotcha. Well, we, we do our best to foster that and awareness. I fully understand. So forgive me if I'm, I, I'll read the pamphlet. Forgive me if I'm skipping over things, but um, this child, Wilbur, mm-hmm. what happens to him when you present him to this uh, mother? Well, that really depends on mother. That I don't know, just that he has to be brought before her and before all of us and, well, the way everything's being And you headed, said that that would save us. Does that... What, what does that mean? What, what does that entail? Look, I'll level with you. You haven't really gone through the, um, the initiation course and uh, any of that training. Uh, these things come up later. We try to... Give people a little time here. It's, yeah, I, I understand, of course. Getting but, that. Um, oh, you're eager, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, basically, my understanding is that something bad is coming. Uh, the tide is rising, as um, they say, and if the children of the tide are gonna swim rather than sink, we've got to be ready. And this little boy is key to making sure that we float. I see. Um, I'm going to roll to see how Alistair's ability to cope with being nice to people <laughs> is holding up. Oh, he got an eight. Okay, he's he's uh he's very stressed, but he's he's doing his best. He's listening. He's trying to be patient and listen to what he has to say. All right, that's good. Uh, Gil uh, turns to Bernie goes now, as a as a officer of the law, I understand that you've um, you're looking for this boy, but I. I really need you to just uh, let us have this conversation. Let us have the meeting tonight, and we'll see where we go from there. Does that does that sound uh, agreeable? Bernie looks so out of his depth that he's going. Um, Alistair, Alistair holds it like behind him, like holds a hand up, like kind of wave. I was like, oh, I've got, I've got this, I've got this. And he goes, 
absolutely, we totally understand. Is the boy here? I, uh, I, yes. I don't need to see him. If that's not, I'm just he's here. He's here. He's resting at the moment. He he had a nasty time. Can we see him? Are we allowed to, or is that? Oh, you is that a is that a new? You'll you'll see him later. That'll be just fine. Uh, but not right now. Right now, uh, you are looking. That's a lot of mud. Um, good thing we don't we don't mind about carpet here. He kind of looks the the ground is dirt. He's kind of <laughs> he's obviously trying to make a joke. He's like, now if um if you want to go with Derek here, uh, Derek leads our um, morning yoga sessions. If you would like to go with Derek, he can get you uh, washed up, maybe find you some some dry clothes, and then uh, tonight when we have the meeting, you can uh, you can talk to the little boy as much as you want. And that's okay, uh, but. Is there, do you have any, what's the power situation? Like, do you have a, just, I just got to charge my phone as well. I'm just. Oh yeah. We've, um, yeah, no, the outlet should be working. Uh, we have some generators here. They're on the fritz a bit, but no, that should be fine. Okay. Uh, where, where would I find said Just outlets? go with Derek. Do you say, sorry, seven? Said, said the, the out. I just sorry, want to know where the outlets are. We want anything with seven outlets at once. <laughs> just one, just. Charging the phone. Charging no, no, the I, I, I fully understand that. Social media presence has been a really important thing. We're not the only chapter of uh, Children of the Tide, by the way. Uh, there's one in New Hampshire. There's one in North California. There's one in Taiwan. Alistair's waving at Derek <laughs> and is, like, t- walking towards him. It's like, hey, you, know, you Derek? It's like, Derek's like, yeah, man. <clears throat> yeah, so I don't mean to interrupt. I was just uh, I was talking to your friend Gil here, and I was just wondering if you could... Uh, Show me your PowerPoint is all I was just going to... Yeah, that's all right. He's, he's, uh, he's, doing, he's doing, uh, like, a very bizarre stretch. It's like, nah, it's fine. All right, I'll, uh, I'll show you we can get cleaned up. We can uh, get you charged up too. He'll uh, lead you off. Is right. Bernie coming with me? Yeah, Bernie's okay. trotting along. <laughs> we return to Ernest, who is following the sound of his own voice down the corridor. At a certain point, you stop making sounds as it gets closer and closer as you try to just kind of stealth forwards as you round a corridor and it kind of rounds and then rounds again going down and you emerge into a new space. This is similar to one of the caves you were in before in that the river kind of runs through it. The ground covering here are small stones and pebbles and in front of you there is a light. Uh, you can see a torch lying on the ground and you see two figures standing, a man and a woman. They are kind of hunched over shapes on the ground and they seem to be trying to rouse these two shapes. Now I want you to make a, a roll for me and Brett will do the same. That's a natural 12. All right, you can see at a glance that the two shapes on the ground are Randy and Nancy who seem to be unconscious. And, and so the people rousing them aren't. No. And as you, because you rolled so well without even getting fully close to them, you are in the room with them, but they have not seen you yet because it was both for stealth and for um, being able to basically see the situation. Before you in your kind of your torchlight and the torch that's on the ground, you see that Officer Nancy and Randy are both lying unconscious in the stones. Their legs are actually in the water. Bent over them are two people. They're dressed quite normally like anyone would be. Uh, One of them is a woman with frizzy blonde curls. The other is a young man. And you can't see them super well because they appear... They're kind of bent over your companions. They look like they're trying to wake them. 
Uh, Ernest is going to quickly hold his finger up to stop Brett and is going to say as commandingly and as, like, presently as he can. Hold on. Turn around. Leave them be. He's right. going to stare at them directly. So you are shining your flashlight on these these two people. Um, Brett is cowering behind you, basically. Um, you your light plays over their kind of their shoulders and their heads um, and illuminates uh, Randy and Nancy a little as they, in unison, turn their heads and raise them to look at you. Your torch light glistens on the black mucus that is dripping from their eyes, their nose pouring from their mouths you can see that this same ichor is slathered over both Nancy and Randy's faces as it's kind of dropped from their mouths onto them the two creatures unhinge their jaws the same way uh, Chief Lester did and you hear that terrible familiar rattling choking shriek shit Dark Tides was Chester Lydon as Ernest Marsh, BJ Ingate as Al Stern, and me, Aubrey Lydon, as your host and narrator. If you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, please recommend us to friends and family. Basically, do anything you can to make other people listen to our show. Uh, it's, it's something we appreciate. You can check out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash darktides, where we have a heap of bonus content, our after-show community Discord server bonus stretch goals all sorts of things uh, and if you want to get news and updates on the show you can find us on twitter at twitter.com slash darktidespod facebook.com slash darktidespod we also have a reddit page at r slash darktides uh, we will see you next week for the continuation of our adventure uh, in the meantime stay safe Bye bye